Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning. I'm Adol Kozilski. Excited to be back in this place, in this spot after a little hiatus. Um, was marrying off one, well, not one of my daughters, my last daughter. I have now been there, done there, dusted that. I've got that T-shirt. And uh, interestingly, you know, when you land up at such a point in life, you always like look back at your your, your career. Certainly mine spanned 35 years um, and how one goes through the trials and tribulations of bringing children up. And today... Um, I welcome onto the show, of course, my co-host, Fagy. Good morning. Good morning, Adel. Welcome back, and mother talk to you. Thank you, thank you. And I think that today's topic that we're going to discuss is actually a very pertinent one because I think one of the things that mothers stress about um, most is when your child gets sick and you've got this uncontrolled temperature. And I know for myself that, uh, you know, I've had a few scares watching a kid, like, shoot over a 40 40 degree temperature and you're scared of convulsions. I actually watched an adult um, do that just maybe a couple of weeks ago. And so it's really, really a good idea to explore it and what it means and how to manage it and what's right and what's wrong. And uh, of course, there's none other than Dr. Jack Cussell, a pediatrician, a well-loved member of our community who has a, who is now going to share so much of his information and, and, and his uh, his, his knowledge about what we can do when we, and particularly our children, run temperatures. Good morning, Dr. Castle. Morning, Adol. Good morning, Vicky. Good morning, Dr. Castle. Welcome. Okay, the floor is yours, Dr. Castle. Uh, by way of introduction, we've got uh, like a couple of minutes before we go to the first break. What is a temperature? Well, what is, what is a temperature? <clears throat> it depends... <clears throat> what what you you really define temperature? There are certain parameters that one should use in defining temperature. The normal temperature in the body is between 35 and 37 degrees Celsius, depending on how you take it under the arm, the forehead, with a device, or whether you take it rectally. Normally, as you will see later on. We don't usually do too much unless the temperature gets to 38.5. And to how to deal with it subsequently, I will discuss later on the program. But I want to introduce temperature by saying that temperature has been a feature of both ancient and contemporary medicine since the world started. And strangely enough, its significance is still not properly understood. And I will try in my presentation to make the cause of temperature and its management more clearly known to everybody. My discussion will be under three main headings. Why does temperature occur in the first place? Second heading, temperature and its link to the immune system, to the body's resistance. And the third heading, the management of temperature. So let us start. All right, so excellent. We're going to listen to those three topics if you'd like to join the conversation. 34519 is our SMS line, 061-895-1019. 
our telegram, we are discussing temperature and how to, to, to understand it and then how to manage it. We're just going to go for a little bit of a break. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're discussing temperature and we're going to delve now into actually understanding what it is and how we can manage it. Dr. Kassel. Thank you. There are four vital organs in the body that are essential for immunity. They are our sentries. They are responsible for protecting us ever since the world began. And those are the spleen, the liver, the lymph glands, and the bone marrow. These organs are together responsible for producing a very important protein called antibody. And they are stimulated to form antibodies following the entry of unwanted pathogens or substances into the body, mainly the viruses and bacteria which affect us. The stimulus for antibody production may also occur following the introduction of vaccines. And the release of antibodies in all cases is marked by temperature. It means that your immune system is working. And let us move on to the second point, temperature and immunity. The release of antibody is marked by temperature, and therefore temperature is always a healthy sign, meaning that the body's defenses, its immune system is at work, releasing antibodies to overcome the infection in a natural way. The corollary also holds good. Any person or child that is severely ill with no temperature is at risk because their antibody response is low or absent altogether. So be concerned about the sick child without a temperature long before you become concerned about the sick child with a temperature. Can I can I ask you a question there then? And I think it's it's something that um, lands up um, when we're talking about COVID. We've got all people that are walking around asymptomatic, like um, you know, kind of people like think that that's a good thing. So I didn't get any symptoms. Is is that is that not a, a true statement? It's true because it means that their antibody response is excellent and they're fighting off the symptoms. But you wouldn't, you won't, you won't show a temperature. You don't feel sick. Well, you, you, it means that, that your antibodies are sufficient even without a temperature. You don't, okay. you don't need to feel sick. In the person that has optimum immunity, he won't even know that he's had any sickness. He just overrides it and goes through it and everything is all right. So which but, situation would you be speaking about if a, if a person is sick or if a child is sick but they don't have a temperature? If, if a child gets very sick without a temperature, that's when you should be concerned, mm-hmm. always. So yeah. if they're limp and they're, they're showing other symptoms, obviously with no temperature, what do you do? Well, I'll, co- I'll come to that in the management. Okay. I'll come to that in the management. We get on to the third point, the management of temperature. The antibody that is released to the stimulus has a sticky outer surface. It proceeds in the blood to find the organism, and when it does so, it forms a sticky coat around the organism. 
rendering the organism unable to take in oxygen or breathe out carbon dioxide, and the organism then dies. This process is known as natural immunity. This is the way Adam and Eve stayed alive when they got colds or infections. They overcame their infections naturally via the production of natural antibodies, long before antibiotics or any other medicines came to the fore. It also forms the basis of so-called passive immunity or herd immunity. You might have heard the word being discussed now with COVID, because the whole world is fearing what might happen even with the vaccines. Herd immunity refers to a situation where a significant number of the population, usually 70 to 80 percent, have acquired antibodies. And to answer your question, Adel, they don't even have to necessarily exhibit a temperature. You can acquire antibodies even without a temperature in a natural way. They have acquired antibodies by being infected and dealing successfully with the infection to their own natural immune systems. And the latter is the gold standard for immunity. Right. However, when this natural immunity is either not present or not immediately achievable, that's when vaccines come to the fore. Vaccines are programmed to release to release antibodies to a specific type of infection or a specific structure of the organism. In the case of the coronavirus, it's the spike of the coronavirus, and it can do this long before herd immunity develops. And even if small amounts of antibody are produced by vaccination, they may spell the difference between severe infection, life and death. Therefore, there is no question that vaccines should always be utilized where indicated in potentially life-threatening illnesses and pandemics. The situation is, however, not so simple, because we don't always know what the antibody is going to do. The antibody produced by active infection or vaccination cannot be controlled and may also start to attack the body's organs as well. This is the condition known as autoimmune disease, which I want to follow up this program with a subsequent program discussing autoimmune disease. I want to allay your fears right here and now. It also forms the basis of the anti-vaccination groups, stressing the fact that vaccinations may be harmful. This occurs in an infinitesimal number of, of patients, when you vaccinate them. Very, very few. It can occur, but it occurs very seldom. And therefore, it, it, it follows my basis for vaccinating. Leave vaccinations to the diseases that can really kill you or impair your life. Don't vaccinate against everything. And I know I'll clash with the virologists here, with professors and all of these people, but I'm not an advocate of vaccinations for ridiculous conditions that you're quite capable of getting over yourself, such as chickenpox, for instance. But we'll discuss this in a subsequent program. Rather vaccinate for the conditions that can actually kill you, and that's COVID-19. So we'll come back to that. 
temperature is a sign that the, man- the defenses of the body are at work. Antibodies are being stimulated and produced. Thus, as, as I've stated before, the patient will seldom come to harm if they have a temperature. In other words, producing antibodies. And to answer your question again, even if they don't have a temperature, they can still produce antibodies. But they may come to harm if they have a severe life-threatening illness without a temperature. It means they are not producing antibodies. Let me quote to you two important examples. The first doesn't relate specifically to pediatrics, but it's a good example. The condition of AIDS, HIV AIDS. The word AIDS stands for autoimmune deficiency syndrome. It is explained very simply by the fact that the AIDS virus poisons the immune system, rendering the system unable to produce antibodies. And if the AIDS patient then gets an infection, such as tuberculosis, they are unable to produce TB antibodies. They have no temperature. And after weeks or months in this state, they eventually succumb to overwhelming tuberculosis. So the AIDS patient dies not in, uh, from overwhelming infection because they cannot produce antibodies. But there is an even more chilling example in pediatrics. And that Doctor, is- can, Doctor, can we just hold that thought for one minute? We just need to go for a break. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back, and we are discussing the the idea of temperature and antibodies. If you'd like to ask a question of Dr. Kussel or you've got a comment, 34519 is our SMS line, 061-895-1019, our telegram uh, number. Dr. Kussel, you were giving us the example of AIDS as being a disease that destroys our immunity, and I think we were just about to uh, understand an example from pediatrics. The pediatric one is, a, is very often a tragic example, and that is meningococcal infection, meningococcal septicemia, or meningococcal meningitis. Now, the meningococcus is a germ that poisons the immune system, rendering it unable to produce meningococcal antibody, which then allows the meningococcus to become rampant in the body. And the meningococcus will then attack the adrenal glands. Unlike most other germs, it goes straight for the adrenals and stops the production of cortisone, destroying the cortisone-producing cells, and it can lead to death from start to finish within six hours. Wow. From the time the disease starts to the time it kills you will be six hours. And unless there's rapid intervention by giving massive doses of cortisone, you will not save the child or the patient. It's wow. a deadly disease. Now, all too often, <clears throat> we had no, we had no antibiotics. We couldn't work in this disease because there wasn't time for the antibiotic to work. But fortunately now there is a vaccine called Menactra, M-E-N-A-C-T-R-A, which is readily available all over South Africa at the moment. And if you give one vaccine in life, that's the one you should give. It's called Menactra vaccine. 
And that's both to children and adults. Children and adults. Believe me, it can it can kill adults as quickly as it can kill children. The, the, the good thing about it is the Meninga caucus is very, very rare. It very seldom rears its ugly head. And when it does, it's usually just in crops of three or four cases or five cases. It's not a rampant organism in the community. But if we can control it with Menactra, we'll obliterate it completely. So just a, a question on, on, on vaccinations for young kids. If you have a, omitted a, a vaccine, it, it's not too late to go and give the injection later. No, not at all. So if an adult then realizes that they haven't had the Menactra or the meningococcal well, vaccination, they, they should have to all adults under the age of 40. And over 40? <laughs> Over 40, it's, it's, it's a debatable point. You know, they, you don't like stimulating. I don't want to get too much off the subject, mm. but you don't like stimulating the antibody system abnormally because there are antibody diseases that can be caused by stimulating abnormal antibodies. And you don't like to do this in a patient over the age of 40 or 50. You like to keep the antibody system quiet. Right, right. So that is the reason. But again, we can deal with this in a separate program. They're doing this work at the Sheba Medical Center in Tel Aviv. They're doing the study of antibodies in the treatment of cancer. It's becoming the new treatment for cancer in Israel. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. Antibodies, if you remember nothing from what I've told you today, remember that antibody is probably the most vital word in medicine at the moment. Right. So to get back to meningococcal meningitis or septicemia, here too is a critically ill patient without a temperature because there's no antibody being produced. Illustrating the adage that with severe illness one does not succumb one does succumb without a temperature rather than with a temperature. And please remember to use to get menactra for your children and grandchildren. Okay. The normal body temperature, as I said when we started the program, is somewhere between 35 and 37 degrees Celsius, usually one degree higher if it is taken rectally. There is no need to panic if there is a temperature between 37 and 38.5 degrees. It is a normal antibody response. And all you really need to do in this sort of situation is undress the patient, cool the room, administer plenty of fluids. And that is very, very important. Administer plenty of fluids because dehydration may lead to problems, including convulsions. And allow the temperature to subside gradually. But here is the most important point of the whole discussion today. Do not ever produce extreme fluctuations of temperature. You know what I mean. Somebody comes along and says, you must break the temperature. The temperature's got to be broken. Mm. And then, of course, they give cold baths, cold ice packs, cold towels, taking extreme measures to knock a temperature down from 40 or 41 to 36. As you take these measures away, the temperature now rises precipitously. It will jump from 36 to 
to 40 or 41. And when that occurs, it's the cause of the temperature convulsion. And I'll briefly digress a moment because everybody's very interested in pyrexial convulsions. Pyrexial convulsions usually occur under the age of three years of age. They're very uncommon after three years of age, but they can occur. They are produced by extreme fluctuations of temperature and also to a certain extent by dehydration. You must keep the fluids in the child adequate. Pyrexial convulsions also will occur <coughs> if, if the temperature is allowed to rise precipitously. They seldom last for longer than three to five minutes. And even though they are extremely frightening, all you have to do in an emergency situation is make sure that the child has an airway. In other words, doesn't swallow its tongue or obstruct its breathing. And if necessary, if the breathing disappears temporarily, just put your mouth to the child's mouth and breathe for the child. That's all you have to do, and don't panic. You cannot get to a hospital in three minutes, nor can you get to a doctor, nor can you get to a telephone. You have to do it yourself. And inevitably, I've never in my 60 years of practicing pediatrics ever seen anything happen to a child with a pyrexial convulsion. Sorry, excuse the phone, we're just going to put it put off the phone. Never seen anything happen to a child with a pyrexial convulsion. Now, of course, you cannot poo-poo pyrexial convulsions. They are significant to a certain extent because in many parts of the world, including South Africa, the child who gets pyrexial convulsions with fever has a 10 to 13% chance of having underlying epilepsy. So if the pyrexial convulsions are recurrent, and if they go on for longer than three years and start happening more frequently, then it's an indication to investigate. You do not have to investigate the ordinary pyrexial convulsion with EEGs and MRI scans. And sorry to digress again, but I plan to do a program over here telling you how to deal with emergency situations at home which uh, this is the classic example of the one emergency situation, how to deal with a fit at home when you've got nobody else to help you. Mm. So remember, if the temperature is over 38, if the temperature is less than over 40, don't use extreme measures to bring the temperature down. Bring the temp- Just do what I've told you. Now, the question of using antipyretics, medicines, to bring temperature down. Here again, one makes a terrible mistake. You get the sort of telephone call which I had in pediatrics. Dr. Cussell, my child has had a temperature of 40, and I've given him Panado at 1 o'clock, Lotum at 2 (laughs) o'clock, Voltaren at 4 o'clock, Voltaren at 5 o'clock, 
and he's still got a temperature, the answer from me will be, you're very lucky the child is still alive. (laughs) (laughs) You've done your best to destroy him. Remember that the temperature is a sign of antibody response. You don't want to obliterate the temperature. You don't want to knock out the temperature. You don't want to produce a normal temperature. You want to produce a controlled temperature so that you control the antibody production. But then, Dr. Castle, the question comes in, do you medicate when a child has a temperature, or is it best to leave it? I normally don't medicate. I don't use medicines unless they go above 38 or 38.5. Then I do the same things. I push plenty fluids. I undress the child. I keep the room cool. I don't use any extreme measures. And you give the Panado or the Calpol or the Lotum or the Nurofen four to six hourly, not one hourly or not two hourly, but in a controlled way so that you control the temperature. And remember that bacteria behave completely differently to viruses. The bacterial temperature usually comes down very, very quickly once you control it. The viral temperature can last for 5 or 10 days, even up to 14 days with adenovirus, and it only comes down in stepladder fashion. So you can get adenovirus infection and what's going wrong at the moment, rhinovirus is all over town at the moment. You can get a child that presents with a temperature... And uh, it's it's 40, and then it becomes 39.5, and the next day it becomes 39, and then it goes back to 39.5 again. Then it becomes 38, then it becomes 38.5, and it comes down like a sawtooth, sawtooth, uh, sawtooth appearance to the temperature, and that is perfectly normal, and that is what also worries mothers. Doctor, my child's had a temperature for five days. He's still got a temperature. I've given him everything on earth. What must I do? See, you do nothing. Just say, Baruch Hashem, he's got a normal immune system. Just let so, him carry, carry is, on. Is, is this, like, this was just something, I don't know if it's, it's Boba Mice or not. I guess we're going to dispel it now. But what I understood that if, if a child has, child gets a temperature, Generally, you know, if there's no other symptoms, because lots of times the little kids just burn temperatures and, you know, you can't see anything else. You, if you take them to the doctor, they say, you know, I can't see what's going on. That if after four days the child does not get better, then that is a sign that they may have a bacterial infection or they'll need the um, intervention of antibiotics. But if you generally see a child, they'll start running the temperature on the first day, the second and third day, it will be very high, the fourth day it will come down, and by the fifth day it's gone, then it's viral. Is that is that a true statement? No, it's a true statement. It's not bacterial. Let me tell you that the classic condition, and you know, I'm sorry we're digressing a lot at the moment, but it's important because these are the questions that people will ask. The classic condition in pediatrics that gives you a prolonged temperature for three to five days and nothing else mm. is roseola infantum or baby measles. Now, roseola infantum or baby measles has nothing to do with measles as such. It is a viral illness where the virus affects the glands. It causes no other symptoms except a raging temperature in the child for three to five days, 
which may swing up and down. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, on the third day, a rash comes out starting in the neck and moving down the rest of the body to the legs, and the child dramatically gets better. That's the condition of baby measles. And you don't give them antibiotics at any stage. Please try to remember that you don't use antibiotics like that. You use antibiotics when you have a proven bacterial infection. And as I've told you in a previous program, when 90 to 95% of your infections today are viruses and 5 to 10% are bacteria, don't run to the use of antibiotics. There's no indication for doing this unless you've taken a swab and seen what the bacteria is. Would you suggest to always take a swab, Dr. Castle? I would always take a swab, yes. I would take, especially now in the, the times that we're going through, with COVID, you've got to do it in any case. So you might as well do all of it. The only contraindication to doing a swab is the financial cost. It is still very, very expensive. But if you can possibly do it, it's the correct way to go, to take a swab, nose and throat, for bacteria and viruses. And it's very important to try and stay away from antibiotics as much as possible. Of course, because if you're using antibiotics, and this is another topic, there are a lot of people that believe, you see, there are good bacteria and bad bacteria. The good bacteria are the ones that actually help your immunity. And the first bacteria that you destroy are your good bacteria. So you make the person immunologically more susceptible by using antibiotics. And, of course, some of my colleagues now will want to jump down my throat and tell me that I'm talking nonsense. But my experience is that if you go on giving a person repeated courses of antibiotics, eventually you will impair that immune system and you will create resistant germs that will respond to no antibiotics at all. And this is what's happening today. The so-called bacteria, uh, antibiotic-resistant bacteria, which are killing people. So don't do it. Use antibiotics with discretion and certainly not to treat a temperature. Another very important point from our program. Right. So to, to recap, your child starts running a temperature. The only thing that um, you need to look out is that it doesn't go past 38 and a half. And uh, to medicate to keep the temperature at, at, a, at, a, at an even kill, not down to 37, it can stay at 38 just to, to ease things off and let the body take over um, in the fight. Correct. You can even leave the temperature at a higher level. Nothing's going to happen, provided you adequately hydrate the child. Even with temperatures of 40, nothing will happen. It's only when you start to produce extreme fluctuations of temperature that you will start to cause a problem. Right, right. And do it. Your antipyretics should always be used if the temperature goes above 38.5. But then use them with discretion. Your Mpipid, your pond stand, whatever you're going to use. Use it four to six hourly. Don't blot the child out with antipyretics and sedation trying to control the temperature. That's the mistake people make. And I think the other mistake is that the mothers the mothers can't handle it and they want some sleep, so they're trying to put the kid to sleep so they can get some sleep. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. We'll be back shortly. 
This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're discussing all things temperature with Dr. Jack Cussell. Our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram 0618951019. What else can you share with us, Dr. Cussell, on this topic of temperature? Well, the other point to share with you is the, is the relationship of temperature to vaccinations. Mm. Very often you get a mother vaccinating her child and telling you that she, she wants to give it Bernardo or, uh, or Stan or something to keep the temperature down. Don't do that unless the temperature gets to over 38.5. You're suppressing a normal immune response with vaccination. Don't try and obliterate it. The point I'm trying to make in the discussion today is regard temperature as a good sign, not as a bad sign. It's not something that that's, that's going to kill the person. They're, almost never will they die with a temperature, but they certainly will die without a temperature if they're very sick. And as far as vaccinations are concerned, let the vaccination take its natural course. If it produces a temperature after vaccination, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It means that your child's immune system is responding a little better than most. I think Adel asked this question in the beginning. Mm. Can you still have immunity without a temperature? Yes, you can. But your immunity will be better with the temperature. It's such a contra, like, 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 indicated thing. Like, whenever you see a temperature, you, you panic. And I think that today you've put that in, in perspective. That uh, would it would it be true to say that? Um, let's maybe talk as an adult, because probably as an adult you can manage yourself better. That if God forbid one does get sick and one runs a temperature, if you allow the temperature to run, chances are you're going to get better quicker then taking the panada, the ponstan, or whatever it is, that you're trying to suppress the temperature. Definitely. Uh, that's my feeling. That I've, I've never taken panada myself to suppress the temperature. I've always let the temperature be, and I have got better quicker. <clears throat> mm. You know, medicines should be used very sparingly. They shouldn't be used uh, just ad lib. You know, and this is what what we do over here, unfortunately. This want of anything better to do. Let the body's natural defenses take their course. This is how the world existed since Hashem created us, and we manage very well. Right. We, we right. always want to be able to take something to feel better quicker. That's the, that's just the way that most things work. Well, I also, don't know so much from your question whether you feel better quicker. I think if you had a temperature. And it wasn't producing severe symptoms. I mean, if you had a temperature with a headache, fair enough. Take something for the headache. But if you've just got a pure temperature and it's not doing anything to you, you'd rather have a temperature. Which which cases do you have to worry and when do you then, let's say, go to hospital? When the symptoms get such, you know, you, you, take, you take the topical one at the moment, COVID, COVID, as you heard, has a 93% recovery rate. This is what the, the, the rest of the world, including people in South Africa, don't understand. So that if 100 people get COVID infection, 93% of them are going to recover. 7% are not going to recover. 
And therefore, everybody focuses on the 7% that don't recover. One is not saying that it's it's something that can be poo-pooed or pushed under the table. You start to worry when COVID is known to produce defects, uh, to, to produce excess clotting of the blood in the, in the lungs. In the same way as you get a heart attack and your coronary artery clots up and a portion of the heart muscle dies, you get left with a diseased heart. Unfortunately, when you get COVID and it proceeds to the stage of where you've had the initial infection, you've had the sore throat, you've had the running nose, you've had the muscle pains, you've had the temperature, which most people have, and they get better. You then reach a stage where the COVID gets into the lung itself, and because of the nature of the COVID organism, it starts to pierce the lung tissue with its spike, and it starts to cause breathing problems. The moment the lungs, the moment you start to get breathing problems with COVID, that is when you should certainly go to a hospital and, or get hold of a tzola and have your oxygen levels tested. The moment it starts to affect your breathing, because that's the danger signal. Because after that, it gets into the lung itself and starts to penetrate the blood vessels of the lung and cause clotting of the blood in the lungs. And once it causes blood to clot in the lungs, that lung tissue will die. And whatever you then do at that stage, you will probably have very little chance of recovering. And this is why a lot of the people that are on ventilators and respiratory assistance don't actually get off the ventilators. They don't have sufficient lung left behind to get them off the ventilator. So sorry to digress for a moment, but that's to explain COVID to you very simply. If anybody has any questions, 34519 is our SMS line 061-895-1019, our telegram number. So um, overall, um, just an understanding, is there is there a... Uh, a, a full mechanism to understanding why the body produces heat is it is it just the heat is is what destroys the the invading bacteria or virus no what destroys the invading bacteria or virus is what I told you initially. The antibody is sticky it mm-hmm. seeks out the invading bacterium or virus and it coats it it produces a sticky coat around it so that the germ cannot breathe. The germ is exactly like us. It needs to take in oxygen. It needs to breathe out carbon dioxide. And the moment it can't do that, the germ dies. And that's what's called natural immunity. Someone once mentioned that putting your feet in like lukewarm water or cool water makes the heat rush to your feet rather than your head. Is that correct? It's bobomyces, if you know <laughs> we have a lot of Boba Masses on the show, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't do anything except press make your feet warm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, that, is there anything else, uh, Doctor Castle, that you'd like to share with us um, in this in this on this topic? No, I, I think we've, we've covered the topic extensively. If they want to ask questions now, it's fine. Right. We're going to just uh, go for a little bit of break and wrap up as soon as we get back. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. 
We're about to wrap up, but we've got a message from a listener that says, Doctor, in times of COVID, what symptoms would you take your child uh, for for a COVID test? Like, is there a way to discern that a child's just got the sniffles or the, you know, runny nose and or, or they have COVID? Or should we always, you know, take them for that COVID test? According to my colleagues who are working now in the private clinics, COVID is beginning to rear its ugly head in the pediatric age group. In fact, they're getting cases of COVID infection, even COVID pneumonias, not with the same severity as, as adults. Mm. But I would, I, I would in any case, as soon as there is a respiratory symptom, such as croup, sore throat, running nose, temperature, I would get a swab done or get a test done for COVID. Okay. Cool. And then somebody else asked, should one have the flu, pneumonia and shingles injection, especially for the elderly? Well, that's another bone of contention. My colleagues will shoot me down. <laughs> but I've, never, I've never had a flu vaccine in my life, and I'm proud to say so. And I've managed to reach my ripe old age of 83 with, without, with the same flu as anybody gets, but I get over it in about two to three days. Mm. So, I, I, I can't completely slate it, but my understanding of it is rather use your armamentarium that you have, the arms that Hashem has given you, your spleen, your liver, your glands and your bone marrow, your antibodies, use them for what is really necessary. If you're going to get a, a, a cold or a flu that's going to cause a running nose for three or five days and cause you to sneeze or have a sore throat, rather just treat it symptomatically. Don't treat it uh, with, but don't try to prevent it by giving vaccines. Even if someone has a low immune system? If somebody has? A low immune system. If somebody has a low immune system, certainly. I mean, you, you, you would give everything you can possibly can because a person with a low immune system is susceptible to everything. And when they then get flu, they will be overtaken by pathogenic bacteria and could die from that. So that's a different situation altogether. I'm talking about the ordinary, average, healthy person. Right. Well, time time has come to an end, and as always, it's been a fascinating conversation. I can see more questions coming in. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to uh, have the discussion with Dr. Kassel right now, but um, we do have the promise that Dr. Kassel will be back um, in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll continue the, 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 the discussions around it. I think that um, your your wisdom is is age old, and I mean that in a in a very positive way. And it's good to just be brought down to earth, and to know that God has given us bodies that can fight a lot of what we have today, and um, that we should be using our medicine really um, for extraordinary circumstances. Doctor Kassel, thank you for your invaluable time, and uh, everything that you have shared with us. Faggy, thank you always for uh, driving the show, and thank you to our listeners. We'll be back next week uh, to end off. Somebody says, Kola Kovod, doctor, I too have never had a flu vaccine. Well, well done, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks to all of you. And just stay healthy, stay safe, and stay well. That's the main thing. Amen, amen. Thank you.